morning, church families. We continue to worship this morning. I'm going to encourage you to take your copy of God's Word and turn with me to the Gospel of John. John's Gospel, specifically John's Gospel, chapter 20. John's Gospel, the 20th chapter, verses 1 through 20. And following will be our guide this Easter Sunday morning. As you're turning there, I want you to look at this painting with me here. Have you ever seen this painting? It's by a 19th century German painter by the name of Friedrich Moritz Retsch. And it's fairly self-explanatory here. If you look at the details of the story, it's a chess match between a young man and the devil himself. The stakes are severe. They're playing for the very soul of this young man. There are only a few chess pieces that are left upon the board that the young man seems destined to be checkmated. If you look at him, there seems to be upon his countenance uh, a doom and, and a gloom that is before him. In opposition, if you look at the devil here, he seems to be very much in charge. There's a glee that is painted upon his face. For years, this painting hung in a European art gallery, and visitors would come by the hundreds, and they would gaze upon this painting here and see the hopelessness of the situation. Satan is on the verge of winning the match here. Satan is on the verge of claiming another soul. Then one day, then one day this great chess master comes into the gallery and he gazes upon the painting and he focuses, he he really fixates upon what he knows the best, which is the chess board. And he says... As the gallery was emptying out here and he was alone looking upon it, he he exclaims, it's a lie. It's not over. This young man has one more move. He can still win the match. This Easter Sunday morning, 2,000 years ago, Jesus was nailed to a cross on what we call Good Friday. Darkness descended upon the land Why? Because Satan has surely won the match, right? We gather this Easter Sunday morning to say how wrong that statement is because God the Father had one supreme surprise that was up his sleeve, one more move that would forever change the very fabric of human history. The resurrection of Jesus Christ is the move that changes everything. It's the move that offers for all of us that are here the forgiveness of our sin and the hope in the face of death. So no matter how difficult life is, no matter how insurmountable our problems might be, Easter Sunday is a time for us to revel in the fact that there is one move. One move that forever changed the destiny of all who would turn to God and His Son Jesus. It's a story that we should never tire of hearing. It's a story that we should relish the details of, and we hear it anew and afresh in John's gospel, the 20th chapter. Would you take your copy of God's word and read along with me? Now on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early while it was still dark and saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb So she ran and went to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved, and said to them, they've taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we do not know where they have laid him. So Peter went out with the other disciple, and they were going toward the tomb. 
Both of them were running together, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. And stooping to look in, he saw the linen cloths lying there, but he didn't go in. Then Simon Peter came, following him, and went into the tomb. He saw the linen cloths lying there, and the face cloth, which had been on Jesus' head, not lying with the linen cloths, but folded up in a place by itself. Then the other disciple, who had reached the tomb first, also went in, and he saw and believed. For as yet they did not understand the scripture that he must rise from the dead. And then in verse 10, the disciples went back to their homes, but Mary stood weeping outside of the tomb. And as she wept, she stooped to look into the tomb, and she saw two angels in white sitting where the body of Jesus had lain, one at the head and one at the feet. They said to her, woman, why are you weeping? She said to them, they've taken away my Lord, and I don't know where they have laid him. Having said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing, but she didn't know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to her, woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? Supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, Sir, if you've carried him away, tell me where you have laid him, and I will take him away. And Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned and said to him in Aramaic, Rabbani, which means teacher. Jesus said to her, Do not cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. But go to my brothers and say to them, I'm ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went and announced to the disciples, I have seen the Lord. And that he had said these things to her. On the evening of that day, the first day of the week, the doors being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said to them, Peace be with you. When he had said this, he showed them his hands. He showed them his side. Then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. That first Easter Sunday, approximately 2,000 years ago, is a Sunday that is filled with great surprises. It was a surprise to the disciples, and it was a surprise to Mary Magdalene what occurred in that moment. Mary Magdalene was overwhelmed with her grief when she came to the tomb. She was not expecting an empty tomb and a risen Savior. No, she was distressed by the tomb being empty, lest she knew in that moment that someone had stolen her, Jesus' body. The Roman authorities, the Jewish authorities, they would have gotten wind of that empty tomb. So the first reaction of the Jewish disciples was to hunker down, to lock the doors, because they knew that they would be a group that was coming out, and they would have been the prime suspects for someone that would have, in the Jewish authorities' eyes, would have been the people that had stolen the body. And so we find the disciples not in a place of, of Easter exaltation, Easter worship. No, they're, they're locked in a, uh, a room. They're hunkered down saying, I hope they do not find us. And in that moment, Jesus appears. And notice that he doesn't knock. Notice that Jesus doesn't announce his arrival. 
Notice that Jesus doesn't say, hey, can someone get this door for me so I can get in here? No, uh, the risen Lord has no need to announce, no need to knock, because for the risen Lord, locked doors are no obstacle to him coming and going. It's a wonderful Easter truth, especially for those in this sanctuary that have family members and have friends who have locked the door to belief in God. And in their mind, they've thrown away the key to never go into that door again and to never let God come into that door. Maybe pain led them to lock that door. Maybe disappointment led them to lock that door. Maybe the fear of relinquishing control to one who says to be the Lord and to be Savior must mean that he must be Lord of our life. The door is locked. God cannot come in. And there are times when we pray for loved ones and our friends and we need to be reminded that in our prayers that there is the hope of a Jesus who can break through any locked door to touch any human heart. Locked doors are no obstacle to our risen Savior. This is good news because there's no person that's too far gone. Your son or daughter in a foreign land is not out of a zip code that Jesus cannot travel to. Locked doors are no obstacle to a risen Lord and Savior. There is no situation that is out of his reach. There is no hurt that he cannot heal. There are none of our praises that through his work on Easter can be transformed into praise. Locked doors were no obstacle for a risen Savior then. And they're no obstacle for a risen Savior today. He shows up in their midst and he has a message for them. Peace be with you. When they see Jesus, you can imagine the disciples in that moment wondering, what is he going to say? I mean, many of these disciples, just a few days later, in Jesus' greatest time of need, what did they do? They, they ran away. They fled. Lest the fate of Jesus become their fate. So surely in that moment, they thought that the first thing that Jesus would bring to them would be a, a bit of a rebuke. How? how? How could you, when I have been with you and taught you for the last three years, how could you leave me in my time of need? But do you see that in this passage? No. There's no accusations in this passage. There's no animosity in this passage. There's no rebuke. There's no rehearsal of all the disciples' failures and their shortcomings. No, there's an announcement. I am here, and because I am here, peace is with you. This is the heart of Easter. It's an announcement to all of us that the risen and Lord and Savior brings peace. Brings peace to us who are far from God in our sins. We, like the disciples, we know what it is to have shortcomings. We know what it is to have sins that separate us from a holy God. But the Easter message is the message that peace has come to us. Not through our work, but through the finished work and completed work of Jesus. And he brings about a path. He brings about a way that we as sinners can be in a right relationship with the holy God. So he comes and he announces that first Easter Sunday and he announces every day, peace be with you. No matter the difficulty of your life, 
no matter the uncertainty of your life, no matter the failures that are behind you and the failures that are around you and, my friends, the failures that are before you, peace can be inside of you and with you as you trust in the Prince of Peace, Jesus. But not everybody. Not everybody was overwhelmed by this message. Not everybody believed in this message. You, could you even know this? Could you uh, believe this, that 2,000 years ago, when Jesus showed up in that locked door, there, there was one disciple, not just Judas missing, but another disciple that wasn't there. And that leads us to the reality of our disbelief. Notice the rest of the story. In John chapter 20, verse 24, we read, Now Thomas, they're doing a roll call. All the disciples are there. But Thomas, one of the twelve, called the twin, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples, they hurried to him and said, We've seen the Lord. But he, being Thomas, said to them, Unless, hey, 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 slow down. Unless I see in his hands the marks of the nails and place my finger into the mark of the nails and place my hand into his side, I will never believe. Thomas puts his foot down. I I, I hear what you're saying. The disciples rush to him and say, Oh, Thomas! You just missed him. If you only would have been here, you would have seen what we saw. Now, why did Thomas miss that first Easter worship service where Jesus shows up in the midst? Do you see in John's gospel the answer? And we don't. Do we see in the other gospels the reason that Thomas wasn't there? We don't. But I'm sure glad Thomas wasn't there. Because in so many ways, we follow in the paths and the footsteps of Thomas. I have a hunch why Thomas wasn't there. And it's a hunch as I've traveled down roads of grief. And I bet it's a hunch for many of you that have also traveled down roads of grief. You know, when, when grief slams into the front door of your life, for some people, the, their first instinct is, is get me with my friends. Get me with a crowd. I want to share the sorrow with people that love me. And when grief comes knocking on the door, the first instinct for many people is to say, as many people that are going to be with me and share this moment, the more the merrier. But for many others, like Thomas, I think, and like myself, and I think like many of you, when grief knocks, there's a tendency to retreat. There's a tendency to get alone. Can you imagine how physically exhausted Thomas is? All of his hopes have been placed in this person named Jesus, and they're squashed on that Friday. He, he hears the news, and you can imagine he's not just physically exhausted, but he is emotionally spent in every way. So Thomas says, no, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get away. I'm going to be by myself. So he's not with the other disciples, but I'm sure glad that he is not because Thomas has all kinds of questions. He has all kinds of doubts. 
He doesn't easily believe. He says, I need more than just your testimony. I need, to be, I need to have more than just your eyes. I need to see with myself. And he says this, I've got to see the mark of the nails myself. I've got to see aside myself, or I will never believe. And he puts a mark in the sand. There's the reality of disbelief in this passage. But notice that we come to the remedy really quickly here. Go with me to verse 26 of John chapter 28. Days later, his disciples were inside again and Thomas was with them. Although the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here. See my hands. Put out your hand and place it in my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. Thomas answered him, My Lord and my God, And Jesus said to him, have you believed because you've seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Now, do you notice those little details? So many details here that we can skip over. Thomas, he he waits in disbelief, not for eight hours, not for eight uh, minutes, but he waits eight days. Vacillating. You can imagine, I mean, the, the disciples are, are they're continuing to tell Thomas, hey, Thomas, why would we make this up? Thomas, of course you need to believe. But for eight days, Thomas waits in his doubt here. And once again, the disciples are gathered. Once again, they've locked the door. Once again, that locked door is no obstacle to a resurrected Jesus. Once again, Jesus shows up. There's Thomas and Stowe, the rest of the disciples. And he looks not to all the disciples, but he looks to Thomas. He says, your fingers here. Thomas, you see my hands. Put out your hand. Place it in my side. Thomas, do not disbelieve, but believe. Especially on Easter Sunday, there's not a lot of room for Thomas's story. You know, Easter Sunday is a time, not a curiosity, but Easter Sunday is a time for certainty. Easter Sunday is not a time for you to come with all of your questions. No, I mean, you, you've gotten all dressed up. Christ is risen. He is risen indeed. It is something to exclaim. It is not something to, to put a question mark at the end of it. Christ is risen. He's risen Indeed, he's risen. Easter is a time where we we feel this this movement to certainty. But when we go back 2,000 years, the, the first announcement of Easter was met with a question mark by one of the disciples. And we feel this need to, to think that doubt is always a sin that must be squashed by our certainty. But we have a path of Thomas, seeing that Thomas's path of doubt actually led him to the destination of his belief. And I think 2,000 years down the road, there are some people 
in the sanctuary who quietly or maybe even very boldly harbor some doubt. I mean, you're here and you're gladly here, but you've got more question marks than you have periods of certainty. And I just need you to hear that, that Thomas is not met by a Savior who says to him, Thomas, do you not trust these disciples? Thomas, would you not know? Did you not listen to me and hear? No, Thomas's doubt is met with the grace and the love, not the rebuke nor the animosity of a Savior. Doubt did not trouble Jesus. And your doubt doesn't trouble our Savior. Skepticism doesn't offend Jesus, nor do your questions surprise him. I've had the privilege, and some of you have had this privilege too. I bet a lot of you have. People who are really strong leaders, have you been around them? Think about some of the characteristics of some of the strongest leaders that you've had the privilege to be beside. Business leaders. Think about some of the leaders, university leaders, people that are, that are uh, providing vision and leadership, uh, sometimes politicians who, who have big platforms or even pastors. I've, I've had the privilege to, to know some pastors who are just fantastic leaders. And one thing that I have seen in all of them is there's, there's sort of a security that wells up in these men and these women who are leaders that do not push away questions. I mean, historically, we can look back, and there have been biographies like the team of rivals. Doris uh, Kearns Goodwin, who, who wrote the team of rivals, talks about Abraham Lincoln, that his cabinet was surrounded intentionally with people that would push back on him. And it's a sign, sort of the strength of his leadership, not his weakness, his strength. On the flip side, I bet all of us have been around people, and all of us at times have been these people. Where our insecurities well up. We don't want to be proven wrong. And there's no room for questions. Questions are off limits. But here we have Jesus that I want you to be reminded of who is supremely secure in himself. Jesus, the perfect son of God, harbors no insecurities, which means this Easter Sunday morning, there are no questions that are off limits to him. That there is no sincere question that isn't really an invitation to encounter him personally and ultimately to worship him. Thomas's questions lead to this beautiful profession of faith, my Lord and my God. And I hope this morning that some of you that harbor doubt Some of you that have questions, I hope that you would hear that it can be a pathway to sincere adoration and belief in Jesus. Now, I think I know what you're thinking. Not all of you, but a few of you. I just want to talk to you. Right now, there's somebody that's worshiping at home, maybe watching the service. Maybe you're here this morning and and you say, okay, okay, David, Uh, great. 
Thomas has his doubts. He has his questions. Jesus shows up in a locked room and he says, Thomas, touch me. Look, I'm right here before you. And you have your doubts. You have your questions. You have your skepticism. And you say, what have I gotten? I mean, all of my curiosity would immediately transform to certainty if Jesus shows up in my midst and he says what he says to Thomas. I mean, that's an invitation, right? And here on this Easter Sunday, Jesus actually talks to you. It's really curious. I, I, I don't know if there are many other passages that are as marvelously personal as what we find in verse 29. Thomas has this great profession of faith. My Lord and my God, in this moment, you would think that Jesus would say, great job, Thomas. Amen. Follower of me. Join the club. He doesn't say any of that. Actually, ask a question. Have you believed because you have seen me? Interesting. Of course, the answer is yes. And then, you know what Jesus does? You ever watched a movie where the lead character of the movie sort of steps out of the scene? And instead of interacting with the other characters in the movie, he or she will step out of the scene and then he will turn or she will turn to the camera and address the audience. It's called breaking the fourth wall. The, the most famous example that I can think of this that many of you would know, it's really not an Easter uh, reference, really, but it's, uh, it's Ferris Bueller's Day Off is the movie, actually. From, from the first scene, Matthew Broderick, is he's talking to you, the audience, and you know what's going on. In this scene right here, Jesus asks Thomas a question, have you believed because you have seen me? And then Jesus breaks the fourth wall and he talks to you and he talks to me. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. That's us. That's Jesus talking to every one of us that have gathered here this Sunday morning. That's Jesus turning from Thomas, turning from the disciples, and having words that John would record that all of us would gather 2,000 years, some with certainty and some with curiosity, some with doubts and a lot with doxology. And in this moment, we hear Jesus talking to us, blessed are you who have not seen me in the flesh and yet have believed for 2,000 years. There have been millions of women and men who were not there in that locked room. They were not there, as Paul says with, in 1 Corinthians 15, with the 500 that saw Jesus post-resurrection. But millions have believed. Thousands upon thousands of men and women have heard the call of the gospel and they've left house, they've left home, and they've gone to a foreign land to, to tell people of the message of the gospel. There have been thousands of men and women, even today, in persecuted places that are asked to renounce their faith, and they say, no, I can't. This is the surest thing that I have. I have not seen him, 
but I know him. I have not seen him, but I trust him. What about you? In 1 Peter we read, Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not see him, you believe in him. And rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. And for many of us that are gathered here today, we say to that, amen. I have not seen Jesus with my physical eyes, but he has captured my heart and he has saved my soul. And for all of us that are here today who have placed our faith in Jesus, we can resound with this chorus, though I have not seen him, I do love him. Do you believe? Will you believe? Years ago, I had a gentleman that came up to me after a Sunday morning sermon. And he looked me in the eyes and he was the husband of a very faithful member of our church. And I'd met him for the first time when he walked up to me after the service. And he said, do you really believe all of that? It's like a wonderful question. And it led to a great relationship that we had. For years, we'd meet together at a coffee shop. He'd bring his questions, and we would talk back and forth. We'd walk through the Bible together. We had some great books by Tim Keller and N.T. Wright, and we would walk through those books and come back. But all of the questions really never got to the place of certainty, never came to that place where he said, yes, it makes sense. And as I left that community and left that church to go pastor another community, we stayed in touch for a little while, but we lost touch until recently I saw him and he ran up to me and he just sort of bear hugged me. And he said, David, I'm so glad that I've run into you today because I just need to tell you, I believe. And he had tears in his eyes and he said, I believe. I was taken aback by the whole encounter. And I asked him in that moment, what was it? I mean, what was it that connected you to faith in Christ? What was it that pushed you over to belief? And and he said, without any hesitation, well, you know, it really wasn't anything that you said or we talked about here, which is always encouraging (laughs) as a pastor, you know. My sermon's not so helpful, But he said, it was like I was in a dark room. All my life I was straining to see. And someone flipped on the light. Do you know what I'm talking about, he asked. And I said, yeah. I know exactly what you're talking about. It reminds me of that great song by Isaac Watts, Amazing Grace. I I once was lost. Now I'm found. I was blind, but now I see. And maybe you're here today and you come with a lot of doubts You come with a lot of hesitations and a lot of curiosity. And you said, if God would only speak to me, if God would only grab my attention, if God would only flip the light on, then I would believe. But maybe, have you stopped and considered for just a moment that maybe this is that moment 
Maybe this is the moment where Jesus is whispering to you, do not disbelieve, but believe. That in this very moment, the words of Scripture are Jesus' words to you. Would you hear them again? Do not disbelieve, but believe. Would you close your eyes? Would you just bow your head? Do not disbelieve, but believe. Do you hear Jesus saying, I love you so much. Do not disbelieve, but believe. God, this very morning, I pray for any person that is here that brings curiosity and brings doubt and brings questions that would you overpower them with the light of salvation. And those who were blind, may they see today. May those who are lost be found in this moment. Would they hear your voice whispering to them, do not disbelieve, but believe. Amen.